heads up because you are in the hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood for November 26th, 2022. Coming up in this second edition this week, does the U.S. stand a real chance to get to the knockout round in the World Cup? Take an in-depth look. Hoodwood's favorite whipping boy, Kyrie Irving. Does he deserve some dab? Deep dive is required. Take a look at if his apology really holds weight. NFL Week 12, the second half of the picks. The late games, the primetime games. All, we'll take a look at all the games on the docket. Of course, we'll have the Hoodwood Hot 5. A big shakeup, maybe. Teams that have the, that the running for the CFP. That dap, head slap. And the final word from the wood all coming at you. It's Sports from the Hoodwood. Second uh, show this week. Putting in a lot of work. You might start calling me the hardest working man in show business. Listen podcast. Put on your crash helmets, buckle your seatbelt, and let's go. gathering up hot plates. I know I have a couple. Snuffy has a couple. We're just eating and watching football and taking in all the sports we can. I'm your man KJ Green. Once again to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Let's start off the top before we get any kind of college football. It's the World Cup. And like I said before, over a billion people are watching it, so this really does mean something. U.S. men's national team on Friday taking on England and battling to a scoreless draw. Now, some people are puzzled by this. Some people are ecstatic by it. Many people, your humble scribe included, didn't think that the U.S. men's national team had the chops to stay with the powerful English team and would be lucky if they were just able to lose by maybe one or two goals. But they held them scoreless. They didn't score themselves, but it makes for the game on Tuesday against Iran just that much more important. One of the uh, USA players called it a knockout game in itself, and pretty much it is. Both teams will more than likely have enough points with a win to get to the uh, get to the knockout round stage. Now, with the U.S. with three ties, would have three points. If they have a win, they would have a win, no losses, and two draws. That would give them five points and enough to get them to the knockout stage. Iran, after its surprising win against Wales, sits in the catbird seat. If they win, they would win the stage and they would knock out both the U.S. and Wales. England's kind of in one of these kind of, eh, we don't really need to win, but it'd be nice to do so against Wales. A win and two draws would put them in the same position as U.S., and you still have to wonder if they would have enough goal differential to win. It may come down to goal differential. Both the U.S. Iran game and the England-Wales game will be played at the same time, so both teams will have to basically play their own game and not worry about 
who what the other goal differential is on the other team. It'll be an interesting uh, set of games to be sure. Now, there are other teams that are in serious trouble about getting knocked out. Germany taking a poor, poor loss to Japan. Argentina losing to the Saudis. Qatar, the host team, already knocked out. They lost all three of their games. Basically, they are the earliest host team to be sent to the sidelines in World Cup history. Qatar just really did need to have a team playing in, in with the big boys and basically show themselves the door. Now they're the host. So keep quiet, serve the hors d'oeuvres, and don't say nothing more. We don't need any more input from the soccer team. Okay? Okay. Now, once we get to the knockout stage, that's when things are going to get really interesting because it's, it is going to be, oh, we'll play, we'll play for a draw or we'll play kind of, you know, cautious and everything. Game ends up tied after 90 minutes. You go to two 15-minute overtime periods. If it's still tied over after the overtime period, then you go to a shootout. I've never been very fond of shootouts. I've always said play. Play until, you, until someone scores a goal. And even then, you're still wondering, would somebody be kind of more cautious? Play it kind of, eh, we'll just kind of wait and see what happens. The World Cup has always been an interesting, interesting bird. And the, the dynamics of the game, the etiquette of the games, the strategy of the games has always been something that I found interesting. But with it going on during football season, there are a lot of people in the U.S. that are kind of like, you know what, that's nice. But I'm still worried about my college team. Or I'm still worried about my pro team. Still a lot going on and still a lot to wonder about. But I still like the World Cup. For, you know, for, for a soccer match, you know. I'm not going to be painting my face and jumping around going, Ossie, 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 Oi, 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 or Ole, Ole, Ole. But I still will watch a game on occasion. Just the way of the hood would. Now, I, I've gotten emails asking me why is Kyrie Irving Hoodwood's favorite whipping boy. You want to send me an email, of course, KJ Green and Sports from Hoodwood.com. I do read and respond to all emails. And I had one ask me, why do you hate Kyrie Irving? I don't hate anybody. But the, the, the comments that Kyrie Irving made were silly, were dumb. His social media posts were inane, stupid, ill-informed. Now, I've already covered this in a, in a couple of different work, final words from the woods, so I won't reiterate it here. But I can say it is hard to admit when you're wrong. And any of my exes will tell you that. I know I've hammered on Kyrie the past few weeks, and the whole mess that Kyrie Irving has caused is starting to blow over in a way. Kyrie Irving is starting to realize that his voice is able to have cause and has effect. Now, he stated so much as so when he had a press conference, basically apologizing. He admitted he was wrong. And I thought it was a bold move. Now, I don't think, I really didn't think that Kyrie was going to be, was going to back down. He is one of these strong-willed individuals that states his purpose, states his mind, and is not afraid to stand on whatever opinion he has 
and defend it vociferously. Kyrie Irving is a very literate guy. He is very educated. He comes, but sometimes he comes off as a bit, uh, I don't know, scattergun. But he stands by his principles or what he feels is right, which I have no problem with that. I've always taught both of my girls, hey, stand up for what is right. Stand up for yourself. If you believe in something, you believe in something long enough, stand up for it. That being said, this was something that was just going to end badly for Kyrie. But long term, do you think this is all really blown over? Will the Nets, who have their own litany of problems with the coaching carousel, with Steve Nash being fired, with the whole Kevin Durant, does he want to stay in Brooklyn? The whole mystery and fiasco that has been Simmons. That is one of those will be a soap opera in itself. But you're putting all three of them together? It, it, it's just, it, it's messy. Now, for his part, his first game back after an eight-game suspension for what the Nets termed harmful impact of his conduct, and they suspended him eight games. His first game back was last Sunday, uh, the 20th, and he had... 14 points and 5 rebounds in a 127-115 win over Memphis. He basically said it was good to be back and he missed his teammates and his coaches and that he wanted to just put it behind him and go forward. With a situation like that, you wonder if the media, if their fans will be able to let it just go and go forward. Me personally, I'm tired of talking about it. I thought the whole thing, the social media posts were insipid, ill-informed, and backing something that I thought was anti-Semitic. The NBA thought so too. The Nets thought so as well. And it took Kyrie a bit of a minute to basically gather all information and see what kind of impact he had and say, you know what? I think I'm going to back down on this. I think not so much back down, but let it go, admit that what he was said was wrong, and walk away from the situation. Try to kind of wash his hands of the situation, so to speak. I think that he has done an adequate enough job in this effect and has shown enough contrition, whether you may think it's fake or not, but he's shown enough contrition where I think it should be just let go. This is a, a dead horse that's been beat on way too long. And I personally would just like to see that be one less soap opera that the Nets have to deal with. It's... When you're, when you're dealing with a pro team, you mostly want to work on why isn't this player playing right? Or why isn't the rotation in a, in a team working right? Or why a person can't make a layup or make a free throw? Those are the type of minutiae that you want to have your team worrying about. Not, is my point guard going to be making anti-Semitic remarks? Or if he's going to be, what group is backing him or not backing him? Or what group is calling for his head? It's something that is just mentally wearing on everybody. Your humble scribe included. Let's take a break. Take time out. Come back with the rest of the week 12 picks. You know what? I was watching the show. I guess I do watch the show to pull out continuity errors. And I noticed, I said week 11. No, it's week 12. Thanksgiving is usually around week 12. Finished with Turkey Day games. 
get to the late Sunday and primetime and Monday games. Sports with Lipwood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. <laughs> My name is KJ Green, and this is the second part of the Week 12 Picks. I broke up with eight of them in the first show earlier in the week. I did fairly well, and now let's get the other eight out of the way, or at least up onto the docket. And as usual, the odds are being provided by ESPN for comparison and entertainment purposes only. We've already gone over why I don't pay bookies, and we'll go forward from there. The next game on the docket is the 3-7 Broncos taking on the 3-8 Panthers at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Broncos are 2.5-point favorites. Last week, the Broncos lost to the Raiders 22-16 in overtime. The Panthers lost to the Ravens 13-3. Both these teams are trudging to the end of the season with a sense of resignation. Panthers' merry-go-round of quarterbacks goes round and round, and now Sam Darnold gets a turn at the starting blender. I just don't know if I trust the Broncos enough to be able to put up enough points to get a win. Their defense plays good enough, to be sure, but they do just good enough to see Russell Wilson fritter away games at the end. I can't see a real future in the Broncos being able to squeeze out wins. Oh, I better not say future around Russell Wilson. He might get me in some sort of trouble, asked Melvin Gordon. The pick here is Carolina. Next on the docket, we have 7-3 Ravens taking on the 3-7 Jaguars at TIAA Bank Field. Easy enough for me to say. In Jacksonville, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Ravens are four-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens defeated the Panthers 13-3 while the Jaguars were on their bye. The Ravens grinded out a grimy win against the weak Panthers and now face another uneven squad, the Jags who are fresh off of their bye. I think everyone is waiting for another mind-bending performance from Lamar Jackson, and I have the feeling that this will be the week that he does it. Trying to hold off a surging Bengals team on the Ravens, they will have little time to trifle with the weakling Jags. The pick here is Baltimore. Next on the docket, we have the 5-5 five and five Chargers. Taking on the 4-7 Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, 4-05 kickoff on CBS. The Chargers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Chargers lost to the Chiefs, 30-27, while the Cardinals lost to the 49ers, 38-10. to 
The Chargers are trying to stay on the fringes of the AFC playoff hunt, and now they face a Cards team that is crumbling badly every week and coming off a Mexico City massacre at the hands of the Niners. I keep thinking that the Chargers will figure it out and go on a run, and they could very well do that, starting here in the desert. It may not be a long-term mirage, but it will be enough to get the win. Pick his Los Angeles Chargers. Next on the docket, we have the 3-7 Raiders taking on the 6-4 Seahawks at Lumen Field in Seattle. 405 kickoff on CBS. The Seahawks are three and a half point favorites. Last week, the Raiders defeated the Broncos 22-16 in overtime while the Seahawks were on their bye. Now the Raiders won a sloppy but satisfying win in their coach's old haunts in Denver, but the degree of difficulty ratchets up heading into the noisy environments of Seattle facing a rested Seahawks squad, still stinging over a loss in Germany to the Bucks. Now, the Raiders are not ready to face a team that can put up points like the Seahawks can. I really feel bad for Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, who are getting their talents thoroughly wasted by the incompetent coach, coaching of Josh McDaniels. He will be no match for the Wiley P. Carroll and his exotic defensive schemes and the resurgent Geno Smith, who I still think should be Comeback Player of the Year. The pick here is Seattle. Next on the docket, we have the 3-7 Rams taking on the 8-2 Chiefs. Game being played at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Chiefs are 14.5 point favorites. Last week, the Rams lost to the Saints 27-20, while the Chiefs defeated the Chargers. 30 to 27. These two teams are way, way different than they were when they met four years ago in a mind scrambling shootout on Monday Night Football in a game that had to be relocated from Mexico City to LA on short notice. The Chiefs are still offensively razor sharp despite the continuing losses of the decimation of their wide receiver core, while the Rams are an absolute shadow of the team that won the Super Bowl nine months ago. This game is going to get ugly and get ugly real fast. You can bank on that. Chiefs are trying to hold on to the top seed AFC and will have a little time to fuss over a weak Rams team. The pick here is Kansas City. Next on the docket, we have the 4-7 Saints taking on the 6-4 Niners at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California for 25 kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are nine and a half point favorites. Last week, the Saints defeated the Rams 27-20, while the 49ers defeated the Cardinals 38-10. Now, the Saints outslugged the Rams at home, but now faced the Niners team that is rapidly gaining steam after smashing the cards in Mexico. Jimmy G is playing like playing like a man who wants to get paid. And this might be a team that he's auditioning for. You ever thought of that? The Saints are too offensively inconsistent and defensively weak to stay with the much like faceted 49ers who are bringing on Christian McCaffrey nice and slow, but making their offense that much more dynamic. This is another game that could get ugly real fast. The pick here is San Francisco. Sunday night game is the 4-7 Packers taking on the 9-1 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, 8-20 kickoff. On NBC, the Eagles are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Packers lost to the Titans 27-17, while the Eagles defeated the Colts 17-16. Now, the Packers have everyone fooled. 
Their offense is scattergun and their defense scares absolutely no one. But yet they still get primetime dates. Why is that? And they face the Eagles team that is fuming still over getting beat by Washington and struggling with the mediocre Colts. Aaron Rodgers has little faith in his receiving core and it shows every week. Now the Eagles are in no mood to play nice at home and in front of a rowdy lubed up Philly night crowd. This has the makings of a late November horror show for the pack. The pick here is Philadelphia. Finally, we have the Monday night game. That will be the 3-7 Steelers taking on the 4-6-1 Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 15 kickoff on ESPN. The Colts are two and a half point favorites. Last week, the Steelers lost to the Bengals 37-30, while the Colts lost to the Eagles 17-16. The Steelers are just a mess. Let's keep it real, kids. They give up points like nobody's business, and their offense is wildly inconsistent, going flat at the worst of times. Plain and simple, no one's scared of the Steelers anymore, but for some reason, the Steelers and a good deal of their fans think they are still just a game away from being back in the elite status. Tall Flash, yeah not. The Colts might be catching the Steelers at their weakest in years, and they're eyeing a chance to eye a real ball losing streak, as described in the Fast Facts. A seven-game losing streak to the Steelers could be broken this week. The Colts have reinvested their faith in Matt Ryan, and the Colts have been competitive in the first pair of games under Jeff Saturday. Kenny Pickett keeps giving it the old heave-ho, but oh boy, he's taking a beating and making ill-advised throws. This will be an ugly, grimy game at best, but the Colts should pull out a slugfest. The pick here is Indianapolis. And there you have it. Last week, as I described in the first show, I'm at 10 and 4. I am 87, 54, and 1 overall. 7 and 3 on both the locks and the upsets. Taking that time out and get down the home stretch with the Hoodwood Hot 5, Fat Dab Head Slap, and the final word from the Wood. Of course, the Hoodwood Heads down the home stretch after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and 4 Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood where it seems that Snuffy has already determined that he is eating too much. Moderation, people. I keep trying to tell folks that. 
over the holidays, take it nice and even. You get lots of hot plates, but don't eat them all at once. A lot like the dog did. Anyway, let's go into the Hoodwood Hot Five. And the top five power teams, in my opinion, just my opinion on the top five football teams, college football teams in the nation. At number five, a new entry, we have USC. The Trojans, after their shootout win with UCLA, now face the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They get by them, they'll be 11-1, and, and looking at the Pac-12 Conference Championship in Las Vegas, possibly against Utah. But many people think the USC shouldn't even be anywhere close to the college football playoff that a two-loss LSU team should jump over them. Are you serious? A two-loss team should not be in the college football playoff unless they are conference champions. And I don't think that LSU will be able to stay with Georgia in Atlanta next Saturday. But that's another, that's another uh, discussion for another day. We'll look into that next week. Our number four team is TCU. Texas Christian. The Horton Frogs are 11-0. They defeated Baylor 29-28 last week, and now they have Iowa State, which could be considered a cookie game. But danger lies in the weeds. They still have the Big 12 championship game to navigate. Now, who their opponent is still has yet to be determined, but they will be one of the teams representing the Big 12 conference championship game. I think if they beat Iowa State, which is not a given, and if they win the Big 12 championship, that they should have one of the four slots in the college football playoff. Now, number three and number two, I'm basically gonna, I'm gonna lump together. Number three is Michigan. They defeated Illinois barely. And now they face the number two team, Ohio State, who came in after a shootout win over Maryland. This is an eliminator game. The late great John Saunders, someone who I admired very much, used to say, let the regular season be the playoff. But I always disagreed saying that the regular season, while not necessarily the playoff, can play as eliminator games. Now, you have 11-0 Michigan and 11-0 Ohio State. They're going to face each other. The loser of this game is more or less done for because they won't be able to win their, their uh, division in their conference, and they won't play for the conference championship. And I have had a long-standing uh, uh, tenant rule that a team that does not play for its conference championship should not have any business going anywhere near the college football playoff. I don't care what your name, what your brand is, what you've done before. If you don't play for your conference title and win it, I think more often than not you need to win it. Now, there of course, there are some exceptions, of course. Alabama beat Georgia last year. Alabama got the SEC automatic berth, and I think Georgia got the, the number two berth because they were one of the top teams in the country. But that is an exception rather than the rule. The SEC honk likes to say, we're the strongest conference in the country. We deserve more. No, you don't. Your conference champion gets in automatically fine. The runner-up only gets in only if there are, are exigent circumstances, an undefeated one or one loss team that loses a close game, an upset. But with Michigan and Ohio State, whoever loses that game is done for. 
They'll go to a major new, they'll probably go to a New York Six, New Year's Six Bowl, but contention for the national championship, done with. You're done. And I don't care if they have one loss. If you do not win your conference, you do not get a shot. Period. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we have our number one team again, Georgia. They, of course, have been number one for a while. Now, they struggle with Kentucky, to be sure, and they have the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech on their, in their season finale. But the big prize, the big cookie that they're looking at is in Atlanta. Yeah, Georgia Tech's in Atlanta, but they're not talking about Georgia Tech. They're talking about LSU. If they beat the Tigers, they're good to go. They'll make the national semifinal. They're 12. They'll be 13-0. Uh, Nobody's going to dispute Georgia being the number one team and deserving of that title, of that CFP shot to defend the title. Now, if they lose, that's where it gets sticky. LSU, if they beat Georgia, will be able to claim rightfully that they shouldn't be, they should have a slot. Again, whoever wins in the Big Ten, they should be in there as well. You've got TCU, you've got, it's a possibly between TCU, TCU should be in, and then you have between LSU and Southern Cal. One of those teams are going to make it in. I think I would think if LSU wins, then you have Georgia. Georgia would be in, I think, over LA, over Southern Cal. I think a one-loss Georgia trumps a one-loss Southern Cal. Now, people say that's politics, and it's going to be it's a messy situation nonetheless. I'll be glad when the team go to when the college football playoff goes to twelve teams. Then you won't have as many, and you won't have as much ambiguity with the spots. That's my high five. What's yours? Now let's look at the Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week. Our Fat Dap goes to a player near and dear to my heart, being a former alumni of my alma mater, Kobe Bryant, who's now a cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. He went into a local Seattle grocery store, and he just decided he was going to start buying groceries for people. Just random, pick them out, and say, I got it. I think it's a classy move for someone, anybody, to just, you know, pick up the tab for somebody, no matter how much it costs, or what they were getting. And all he wanted was, you know, hugs and pictures taken, and people saying how much they appreciated what he did. And I think it was a classy move. Our head slap of the week is a little bit more complex. Goes to Jerry Jones, Grand Poobah, and owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I'm giving this to him for not being up front. Now, in 1957, he went to Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, and was, as he said, did not know what was going on with the protests for school integration. I will be willing to give Jones a, a pass on not knowing what was going on in front of the school and the protesters wanting to keep the uh, Little Rock Central High School segregated. What I can't give him a pass for is not being out front about it, not getting in front of the issue and being up front and saying, yeah, I was there. I didn't like it. I didn't know what was going on, but yes, I was there. I didn't try to keep people from integrating the school. I was only 14. I didn't know any better. 
If he had to come right out and said that, hey, I don't know anything about it, I could give him a pass on that. I could say he didn't know and give him the benefit of the doubt. But not saying something about it gets him my head slap of the week. And without further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I'll put it right out there. I'm not a Josh McDaniel fan by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's the stupidest coach in the NFL, to be perfectly honestly. He was a boy wonder coach who was plucked from the coordinator ranks in the mid-2000s to take the Denver Broncos head coaching job. He selected Tim Tebow with 25th pick of the 2010 NFL draft. That turned out to be a real bust. But to be sure, I do believe that there are a few head coaches that could vie for the title stupidest coach at the NFL. I can't see how Dennis Allen keeps his job with, with the dumb moves that he has made. And especially after he flunked out of the Raiders job. And I'm not a Zach Taylor fan. I think that the Bengals win, but not because of him, but in spite of him. Matt Eberflus and Nathaniel Hackett are fast proving that they are in over their heads as head coaches. Matt Rule and Frank Reich have already been escorted out of the room, so I will not pick on their successors, Steve Wilkes and Jeff Saturday, that much. Though the latter, I still have a bit of a beef with, he may have been wholly unqualified for the position. Now, we may look at some other coaches that I think are unqualified for their job, but right now I'm starting with focus on Josh McDaniel, who's been considered, who was considered one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. But after starting 6-0 with the Denver Broncos in 2009, McDaniels has went 8-23 as a head coach. He has, lost, he has lost four straight games as a coach three different times. That's doing something. He was fired in 2010 after a 3-9 start. And while he quote-unquote avenged that firing with the OT defeat of the Broncos in Denver, his team still stinks. Now, I don't hold Jeff Saturday in that same disregard, but I'm still left puzzling how he got his job. Now, I know how he got it. Him and Bob, Bob Ursay, the, co co the Colts owner, is they are drinking buddies, best friends, at least close enough where Ursay decided, I'm going to hire Jeff Saturday. Now, Jeff Saturday has not coached on the college level, He's not coached on the pro level. He's not been a coordinator. He has been an analyst for ESPN for a number of years. I found it ironic that Saturday's first coaching win was against Josh McDaniel and the Raiders two weeks ago. Now, what's the point of my rant about this, about these wholly unqualified coaches getting these positions? How are these guys getting jobs and good black? and Latino coaches are continually being passed over. Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator of Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, very qualified. Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, very qualified. Rich Biasicic, the interim coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, took that team to the playoffs. Shoot out of the door for the aforementioned McDaniel. Now you have others like Lovey Smith in Houston and Todd Bowles in Tampa who are in untenable situations and are trading water, especially poor Lovey Smith, who I think deserves a whole lot better. 
It seems that the Rooney Rule, which was enacted in 2003 to help speed along co uh, coaches of color getting jobs, has been wholly ignored. While the Old Boys Network continues to tread all these tre uh, retread coaches and other hot college coaches who are not of color. This I see is troubling because you are passing up great coaching minds because they don't, they're not right people. I saw that Maurice Carthen, who was a longtime assistant coach after a, an outstanding uh, playing career, retired at the age of 51 in 2012 because he figured out he wasn't going to get a head coaching job. And teams were not willing to take a chance on a coach of color. Funny. The Bengals took a chance on Zach Taylor, even though he had proved that he was not a good offensive coordinator. My beloved Vikes took a chance on Kevin O'Connell, even though he had been nothing higher than an offensive coordinator. We've already talked about Saturday. Dennis Allen, a retread, gets a head coaching job. But you won't see a Marvin Lewis getting a, re, uh, a second shot at coaching, even though he made the Bengals consistent winners. Why is that? Why is the Rooney rule being skirted around so that the old boys club can continue to fill their ranks? Inquiring minds want to know. There are good coaches of color out there in both the pro and college ranks. Why are they not getting head coaching jobs? That is the final word from the wood. Music coming up in the background here eventually you know that means that your time in the hood wood is just about done for the week and I thank you so much for your visit the show's email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com send me an email regarding show topics questions comments both praise, praises criticism welcome your correspondence and I try to get back to you as quickly as I can the show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com that's back catalog of the show in both audio and video forms and you can catch the video of the podcast on YouTube. The link to this podcast is on Facebook and Twitter. And we have a brand new Hoodwood feed, or it's just a Twitter feed, which is Hoodwood Sports at Hoodwood Sports. Screen, tweet me, tweet the show, or tweet back. Audio version is again available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iTunes, and other fine podcast providers and platforms. Hoodwood is not on your favorite, drop me a line and I'll do what I can to get it on your favorite one. Special thanks as always to Rave Pictures for their continuing fine production support of the show. And that's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen. My name is KJ Green. See you next time, fellow sports fans. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production. Come <laughs> on.